fully appreciate the importance of the kind of music that God has given whereby we worship Him in this place. I don't know why more churches have abandoned the kind of music that you have. I don't know why there's been such a disconnect over the last few decades between the faithful preaching of the Word of God and the faithful music ministry of the Lord. The message in song ought to be compatible with the message of the book. And I thank God it is here. We had a great uh, concert this morning and a second one uh, in, this, uh, in this worship hour. You know, my friends, the, uh, the rock music industry does not uh, invite your choir to their rock concerts. There's a reason. Okay. And for the same reason, in reverse, there's a reason you don't invite their musicians and their music into this place. I thank the Lord for the connectivity between the worship in music and the worship in spoken word. This is a good place. Congratulations. 52 years of ministry. That's a good start. <laughs> Some years ago, I was preaching in inner city Philadelphia <laughs> at, a, at an anniversary service. I was sitting on the platform. It was actually the 200th church anniversary of that still faithful ministry. And I almost started laughing out loud when it dawned on me that some of the founders of that church probably walked on the streets of Philadelphia with Ben Franklin. So if there is any history in this country... 200 years from now, I hope that uh, those who gather in this place to thank God for His faithfulness will be able to say, He hasn't changed and neither have we. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to let us be here, Karen and me, for this special occasion. Uh, normally my wife would be here with me, but she has many friends back there that she has taught. And you know, teacher and pupil, uh, they reconnect. So uh, she is with them. We had a great time together at the couples retreat. And uh, it's wonderful to see some of you in the choir and others of you uh, scattered through the congregation. It's good to see graduates of BJU here. And uh, and uh, Andrew is here uh, back. There's a school break. The university is having a break. You know what? You old timers, when you went to college, I mean, you were there for the duration. You got a little little Christmas vacation for a few days, and then you had commencement. Now you got break and break and break and break. There's not much 
I, I don't know. You're not, you're not getting your money's worth. <laughs> you know, education is, is, is about the only product we, we, we pay our money for and, and don't want to get our money's worth. It's the strangest thing. But uh, we are happy to be with you, and uh, God bless you on this special day. Uh, look to the future as well as to the past. That's an important thing on an occasion like this. Uh, the best in the will of God and in the providence of God is yet ahead. The best is yet to be. Would you open your Bibles this morning, please, to Second Corinthians chapter 2? I like to ask people, we mentioned this at the uh, retreat, uh, how you met your spouse, what do you do for a living. I find that very educational. I enjoy that a lot. been asking some of the questions this morning. What do you do? Well, there's one thing that each believer in this congregation should be doing. There's one profession that each of you should have in common. You should be in the perfume business. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I understand your quizzical look, uh, but it's biblical, by the way, to be in the perfume business. Paul was a perfumer. We're going to read about that this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, begin at verse 14 and follow with me as I read, please. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor or the aroma of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor, fragrance. Of Christ, these sweet favor, savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. For to the one we are the savor of life, of death unto death, and the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Having been called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His marvelous light, I don't think that any of us remembering from which we have been saved that would not say the world is a smelly place. The world is a smelly place. It has the smell of sin upon it. So Paul, walking through his portion of the Roman Empire to take the fragrance of Christ to everyone he could talk to, used the the analogy of the perfume world to try to describe what 
he as a Christian was all about. This was the metaphor that he chose. That wherever he would go, the sweet smell of Christ would be left behind. You're celebrating 52 years of gospel work here. Within the sphere of your influence, there's a better fragrance because this church and school are here. In your life, wherever you work and serve in the community, I hope there is a better aroma, the sweet smell of Christ, where God has called you to serve Him in your place of employment. Now, the fact that Paul chose this metaphor would probably have been more understood by the people of his day than in our day. Why did he talk about the aroma of Christ, the savor, the fragrance? Well, because in that world it was an even more smelly place because people didn't bathe as much. We're blessed. I, I was this morning. I was taking a hot shower, and I thought, Lord, thank you for hot showers and clean water. <laughs> We're blessed. We're blessed people. Back in the Greek and, and Roman days, uh, and even uh, much more forward, back in the days of Shakespeare in the in the early 1600s. Uh, by, by, by the way, do, do, do you know why June is such a special day for a wedding, uh, a month for weddings? Because it was the first time in the calendar that the weather was warm enough for the brides and grooms to take baths before they married. They lived in a cold climate. And in order to have a better aroma. <laughs> they used a lot of perfume. <laughs> In fact, I read that uh, Napoleon, this true story, Napoleon used 52 bottles of perfume a month. And when he went into battle, he used always his favorite fragrance. <laughs> But even back before that, Hammurabi, who was the emperor of the first Babylonian empire, made a decree that everybody in the empire had to wear perfume all the time. There was a reason. <laughs> there was an occasion, we were told, in 54 A.D. when Nero threw a party and spent $100,000 on that party in perfume expense. And back in the Roman era, when they, a husband or a wife wanted to say something sweet and endearing to their, their spouse, uh, instead of saying, my dearest or sweetie pie, they would say, my myrrh or my incense. <laughs> so Paul lived in a time where this, uh, this metaphor was, was quite prominent and quite understood. 
The Bible talks a lot about fragrance of perfume. Listen to these verses. Proverbs 27, 9, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. In the Song of Solomon, the first chapter, the bride described the bridegroom this way. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. My beloved is unto me as a cluster of camphor. When the Christ child was worshipped by the visiting scholars of the East, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we're told that in that day, the frankincense and myrrh were actually more costly presents than the gold. They came from afar. They were in scarce supply. They were in great demand and very, very precious gifts. You remember the Lord was at, uh, at a feast one time in and uh, Mary of Bethany brought uh, a vial of perfume that uh, the Bible scholars say was worth uh, a whole year of wages and broke that on his feet as symbolic of preparing him for the death of the cross, which she understood from his teaching was soon to come. So, I want us to just think about our mission and the mission of this church on this anniversary day to be perfumers in the world in which we uh, transit during our, our journey here. You know, Christians don't always smell like we should. Christians smell bad when they are proud, rude, dishonest, thankless, untrustworthy. Here we bear the name of Christ. We are a Christian. And we go into the world with characteristics and character that are anything but Christian. And we leave back behind us a terrible aroma. Actually, we make the name of Christ smell bad in the world in which we move. And that is unthinkable that we should do so. Now, according to this text, we smell good to God when we make Him known in the earth. That is, we're witnessing of Him. We're speaking of His saving grace and His transforming power everywhere we go. Now look at verses uh, again, uh, 14 and 15. Thanks be to God, which causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. Paul said, that's my business to leave behind the sweet fragrance of Christ in every place I go. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that are perished. There are two things he said here. 
We are sweet savor of Christ, and we are sweet savor unto God when we bear the name of Christ. That's what verse 15 tells us. We're a savor that smells good to the Lord. Our witness is a sweet fragrance to God. So how do we fulfill our mission of being purveyors of sweet fragrance? By witnessing of the mercies and grace of Jesus Christ, God's pardoning love through Calvary, the Lord says, this smells good to me. And when we go to the world, we leave the fragrance of Christ behind in this world. But there's also something here in verse 17. We leave a sweet savor when we are not as unto many, or like many, we're not like many, which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You know, false teachers, deceivers, religious deceivers, uh, have always been in the church era for 2,000 years. Corrupters of the church, corruptors of the truth of Christ. Uh, you don't have to look far in your community to find ch churches that are, are corruptors of the knowledge of the Lord, false teachers. Uh, in, in fact, when you read the book of the Revelation, the first, uh, the, the, the first uh, seven churches mentioned there are churches that have, were less than 50 years old. Chapters 2 and 3 tell us about it. And in less than 50 years, those churches were full of fornicators, false teachers, deniers of the deity of Christ, all kinds of false teaching. And the Lord said to the pastors of those churches, if you don't correct this, if you allow this falsehood to exist in your church, I'm going to take your church away. I'm going to remove my presence. And for most of those churches, except for two of them that he found something good in that he had nothing to find fault with, of the other five, he said, you have some good in you. But here's what shouldn't be there. And if you don't take care of what isn't good, I'm taking away the whole thing. The Lord hates false doctrine intermingled with Bible doctrine. This church's mission in whatever years ahead God has for you is as much of separating the false from the true as it is in proclaiming the true. And Paul said, we are, Corinthians, we are as unto you, not as some among you who have brought in false doctrine to your church. 
separation of God's truth from Satan's intermingling of error with truth, which no longer is the truth. Separating the two is a sweet fragrance. Separation of truth from error, Bible truth from satanic deceptions, mixed in with truth, is a sweet fragrance to Christ. When we refuse to omit parts of divine revelation, which would be offensive to the unregenerate mind, doing that is a sweet savor. The whole counsel of the Word of God is a sweet savor. To the Lord. You know, a lot of churches that have gone astray today still preach some truth. But by deliberateness, cowardly preachers in those pulpits are omitting the whole counsel of the Word of God because some people who are enculturated too much with the culture would not remain in those churches because they love the way culture is going more than they love what the Bible has to say. Thank the Lord that you do not have a church that has allowed the the strange philosophies of this day by which the media is promoting harm and falsehood. And the public education system is promoting things that are just totally erroneous and forbidden by the Word of God. You see, God assigned gender There are only two, male and female. That's all there is. There is no transgender. Uh, surgeries don't change gender. So it's an insult, really, to God Almighty to say, I don't like the gender you made me, and I'm going to do everything I can to be whatever I want to be. Insult to God Almighty, aside, aside from being medically impossible. Or the God who ordained marriage between man and woman, it's an insult for the world to say, we're going to make marriage whatever we want to make marriage, never mind what the Bible says about it. And so on and on. It is the church's job to be a sweet fragrance of truth-bearing to a world that doesn't even want the truth and might even hate you for the truth-bearing and might even deny your tax exemption one day for truth-bearing and might even put your pastors in jail for truth-bearing The sweet fragrance of God's truth is a wonderful thing in this world. And somebody has to tell them 
what the Creator God has to say about the world He has created. These few verses of this text make it very clear that the gospel smells good to the saved and repulsive to the unsaved. Look at it again. We are unto God a sweet savor in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death, unto death to the other the savor of life unto life. What is it saying? It says the gospel fragrance smells differently to the saved and the unsaved. It has a terrible smell to those who deliberately reject the gospel. Because in deliberately rejecting the gospel, you're putting yourself one step further to the condemnation of eternal death. It doesn't smell like life to those who reject it because in rejecting it, they have put themselves closer to judgment and eternal damnation. To those who accept it, it has the beautiful aroma of I am passed from death unto life. The same bee that brings honey to the honeycomb is the bee who also stings. I like the way it's put in John chapter 3. He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The same message that has a different effect. The message to the believer that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners is the fragrance of a Savior who offered Himself to be a pardon for our sins. In fact, it says so very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Hebrews 10, speaking of the sacrifice of Christ, beginning at verse 10 says, We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. And every priest stands, this is the, under the Jewish system, every priest stands ministering daily and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Christ Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So what does the offering of Christ, of himself, for our pardon, smell like? Well, it smells like grace. 2 Corinthians 8 9, we know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor that we... Through him, his poverty might be made rich. 
It smells like meekness. His sacrifice does. The meekness of the gentleness of Christ. Second Corinthians 10, Paul said, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. It smells like the fragrance of his kindness. God's not rich, he's not stingy, my friend. He's rich in his kindness to us. The 52 years you celebrate here today are evidence of his great kindness. You know, man is well-meaning. We do our best, but we are flawed, poor sinners, saved by grace, but still flawed by the sins of our life. And we make a lot of things messy that God has to step in and straighten out. And in His kindness, He extends His mercy yet again to us and again and again, Ephesians 2.7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. He's going to be demonstrating his kindness through Christ throughout all the ages to come. I don't understand that. I don't know how it's going to look. But the Bible says that's what he's going to be doing. It's the fragrance of His riches that we have in Christ. Ephesians 3.8 I preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, Paul said. It's the fragrance of His love, Titus 3. We ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared. There's something else that smells good to God. It's not in this passage. It's the generosity of believers. Our sacrifice of our possessions, our finances, our time for the sake of others in the Lord's name that is a pleasing fragrance to God. Philippians 4.18, Paul said, I have all. He's in prison when he's saying this. In a Roman prison. Not nice places. And yet he said, I have all. And abound, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, church in Philippi, an odor of a sweet smell, he said, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So what is he saying? When we give to missions, when we give to the spread of the gospel through our church, when we give for the Lord's sake a cup of cold water in His name, what we do for those who are ministering the gospel of Christ 
all over the world. What we do for them smells good to God. Even as what Epaphroditus did for Paul through the church in Philippi smelled good to God. Our material sacrifice for those in need in the service of Christ smells good to God. Hebrews 3.16 says to do good and to communicate, forget not, for such sacrifice is well-pleasing. And I have to mention one thing else. I should have gotten to it before I got to the sacrifice that smells good in our, in our giving for the sake of the ongoing of the gospel. But I want you to notice something that has really encouraged me back in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It is not just the results of our witnessing that smells good to God. How many people come to Christ through our ministry. That's not all that smells good to God as our witness is always a, a fragrance to God. It is the faithfulness in the sowing of the Word of God. Our labors in sowing. Not just what kind of results came from those labors. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians. It's a sweet savor to God in them that are saved, to, in, to God in them that are saved and in them that perish. Our labors, whether they're fruitful or unfruitful, if we're faithful in our labors, this passage says God is pleased with the aroma of our labors. So I'd say to you, my friends, who are trying to be this kind of a witness, and you may get discouraged because you don't see the fruit that you would like to see, it's all right. Just be faithful. And it smells good to God. He's responsible for who is saved from your labors and who rejects the sweet savor of the offering of the sacrifice of Christ to them. I remember once, um, years ago, my family was small. Our children were probably still in elementary school, might have had one in junior high. I took them to New my wife and I took them to New York for a little educational experience. We were on a subway uh, going up to a museum up in the north of, uh, of the city. We were sitting sideways facing into the car right across from one of the exits at the end of that subway car. The other exit was down here. We stopped at a station and a man got on down here with a big signboard front and back. Never said a word. But he walked through that car uh, and the front of him, he had verses. I think one of them said, um... um the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the other was a verse about God's condemnation on sin. I forget what it was. And he stopped at the door facing us and he just stood there waiting for the next station. The door would open. 
I jumped up. I said, sir, you obviously love Jesus Christ, don't you? He said, yes, I do. Well, I said, do you wear this signboard very much? He said, yeah, every Thursday. He said, it's my day off. I work for the electric company in the city. And this is what I said, I can't speak very well. But I, I want to serve the Lord. I just felt one day, this is something I can do. I said, sir, we're Christians too, and I'm glad you're doing this. I said, I was sitting here with my mouth closed, and there you were with that Bible witness going through that car. I congratulate you, sir. I said, do people ever rebuke you for this? Oh, yeah, he said all the time. He said, I get jeers and sneers. I said, has anybody ever thanked God for you? He said, to the best of my knowledge, I can't remember anybody before you standing here and telling me how, how thankful you are. Well, I said, we are thankful. God's promised to honor His Word, whether we speak it from our lips or show it on a signboard. Now, I, I couldn't have His ministry. That's not my ministry. But I thank God it was His. It was a sweet-smelling savor. To the Lord. It was his labor, not the results of his labor, according to this passage, that smell good to God. I would like to say in closing, my friend, just as a reminder to all of us, that the fragrances you put on this morning cost something. You say, yeah, I know, I... I, I I spent a fortune for my wife to have that perfume. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the production of the fragrance. Uh, about three years ago, uh, I, I was uh, in the south of France, and the tour took us to a fragrance uh, factory. And they showed us how these fragrances were made. And uh, most of them were made from crushing flowers. And sometimes an abundance of those crushed flowers and that fragrance that it produced from the crushing of the flower made the, the, the perfume very costly because the process only produced a little bit and they had to have lots of crushed flowers for a little bit of fragrance. The smell of incense. Nice fragrance. Comes from the rosin of a tree, the protective substance between the bark and the tree itself. The only way you can get that is to slash the tree and let it bleed. And you collect the rosin. It hardens, made into incense that's burned, that produces the fragrance. May I submit, my friend, in closing to you that the Lord Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of His peace, our peace was upon Him. By His stripes we're healed. It cost God the shed blood of His dear Son 
to redeem our souls. Inestimable cost. To produce the fragrance of His saving grace and His eternal love and His forbearance and the riches that He gives us through Christ. It costs God His Son. And I believe that a world of unwashed sinners can't help but notice and be blessed by the fragrant lives, the consistent lives, the Christ-witnessing lives of Christians. And according to this passage, God Himself is blessed by this fragrance as well. So I would just like to close by saying, is the Lord waiting for your life to become fragrant? Or is it already fragrant? In most of you, it already is fragrant. I would just say to you, keep on keeping on. Is it fragranced by your generosity to those who bear the gospel to the world, which is a sweet savor according to what we read? I say keep on keeping on. That's what this church has been trying to do for 52 years and has done well. And I pray that it will be what your children and grandchildren, if the Lord tarries in this church, will be doing well also. Some of you may remember when the new millennium came. Hard to believe it's been 22 years ago now. It was, of course, televised all over the world. And since Australia and the Sydney, of, Sydney Australia, the big city there, just on that side of the dateline came first. TV coverage was everywhere all over the world. There's an iconic bridge that goes across the harbor there in Sydney, Australia. And on that bridge, written in 30-foot high letters, beautifully inscribed and illuminated with fireworks when the, when the whole celebration began, was the word eternity. And the Y had a big tail hanging back across the word. Most people had no idea what the significance of that was, but I had heard of this before, and it just made my heart leap for joy that the fragrance of eternity was before the world a moment to think what is waiting for me in eternity. We were celebrating the new millennial in the calendar of time but with the word eternity, well, there was a guy named Arthur Stacy who got saved in 1930. He was a drunk, and he staggered into a church one night. It was cold, and he was hungry. And the church had donuts and coffee, and it was warm, and he staggered in for that reason. And the preacher was preaching from Isaiah 57. 
And he heard the words that the Lord self-described, that God self-described in that passage in Isaiah 57. Thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. And the preacher preached on that that night. And that man got eternity stuck in his heart. He couldn't get it out of his mind. And he came to Christ that night and he went out of that building. And while he was looking up in the stars and thinking about what's beyond all of that, he found a little piece of chalk in his pocket. He was a semi-literate man. He had no education, could barely write. But he took that chalk and he got down the sidewalk and in his own scribing way he wrote eternity and for the next 30 years he went all over Sydney Australia writing eternity on the sidewalks the police tried to figure out who it was they never could catch him he would get up at 4.30 in the morning and four people were out and he'd write eternity They've estimated that he must have written it 500,000 times on the sidewalks of Sydney, Australia. And it became so iconic that when they wanted to be identified as a city in their uniqueness, when the world was going to get a glimpse of their city at the dawn of the new millennium, they chose the word eternity. You see, God has a way of witnessing that He is the eternal Creator God. And that eternity is waiting for mankind. And that what we do with Christ determines what He does with us in eternity. And we have the privilege of witnessing to that. Individually and collectively as a church. Throughout our earthly days that are soon going to be a in the past, forever, when we are in eternity. And He wants us to have a part in reminding men that they have eternally living souls, never dying souls, and that what they do with Jesus Christ will determine what He does with them in eternity. And lives who are engaged in that, like Stacy was, have a wonderful aroma in the nostrils of God. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for a church of this sort for 52 years. And I do pray your blessing upon it that the devil would be kept on the outside of these doors for he doesn't belong here. This is your place. You've guarded it. You've protected it. Thank you that you've brought here a faithful pastor who has roots in this church from even before he was born. Thank you that you are maintaining and you're moving forward a place 
that is a sweet-smelling savor to you because the lives of the people who inhabit this place go forth into the world to bear the aroma of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Keep it true till you come, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's all stand together this morning. I think it's appropriate for us to reflect on this challenge from the Word of God and the type of fragrance that we are for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to spend just a few moments in invitation. Perhaps you'd like to come pray here at the altar, pray there in your place. I'm going to ask the instrumentalists if they would to play, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, Have Thine Own Way. This morning, if you do not know the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's never been a time in your life where you've repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ for your eternal salvation. We, of course, would invite you to come this morning and know the Lord as your Savior. As the hymn of invitation is played, won't you allow the theme of the message this morning to have its way in your heart? stanza this morning as God worked in your heart, challenged you in your life and the type of fragrance that you are in your home, in your workplace, perhaps in your neighborhood, the impact that you're having upon those that are around you. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for the investment that's been made on our behalf this morning by way of music and by way of the message. There have been many hours put into the preparation for the service this morning, and I've been, I believe with all of my heart that it's been well worth the time. Uh, truly, I believe that we have a spirit this morning that says, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. We're able to sing your praise and we're able to listen to the sermon and to be challenged from the Word of God. This is not a book that has been written by man, but it is a book that was delivered to man from Almighty God. And we're so thankful that we can learn from it and be challenged by it. Thank you for the message this morning. Lord, as has been stated, I do pray that if your return is is sometime distant in the future, that This church will continue to be a beacon, a lighthouse, and it will stand for truth, let come what may. We have a great responsibility as a local church to stand no matter what other choices others may make. And I pray that we'd hold forth the light of the glorious gospel to those that have never heard. Use us, Lord, for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Thank you so very much for being here in services. This is a special day for us in celebrating our 52nd anniversary. And uh, we have a meal here in the Family Life Center, and everyone's invited uh, to be able to join us for that. There's no cost uh, at all, of course. And we just ask you to go by and pick up your children, either there in the nursery uh, or there in the children's churches, uh, in the children's wing. And so we'd ask you to do that on your way out. I'm also going to, at this time, I would like to dismiss the Joneses and then the Johnsons and then uh, Brother Alan Provis and I think his daughter, and I'll give them a little bit of a head start there as our guest this morning. Uh, if you were not here at the 9 o'clock hour, it was a wonderful concert and uh, just blessed by the number of different songs that they played and sang and uh, that was a blessing. I'll give them a little bit of a head start here. Uh, we'll have a word of prayer here in just a moment. I'm going to ask Brother Bradford, if he would, to come and pray for the food. Uh, there'll be a number of different serving lines when you arrive in the Family Life Center, and they'll direct you there. Uh, feel free to partake. There'll probably be a drink table and then a dessert table as well. And so you want to make sure you work your way around and enjoy that time of fellowship. If we could, a little bit of a caveat, we did this uh, with just a few people on the couple's retreat, but uh, we'd like an opportunity for all the BJ alumni and current students uh, to participate in a photograph. So if you attended BJ, if you graduated from BJ, you got your master's there, got your doctorate, uh, wished you'd have gone to BJ, heartbroken that you didn't go there, sad that you did go, no, 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 uh, whatever the case may be, if you got shipped from BJ, I did have a few, uh, no, I'm just kidding, but uh, uh, we want to take that photograph, and what we'll do is we'll meet right after this in the lobby uh, of the Family Life Center, we'll take that photo with Dr. Bob and Miss Karen, and uh, then we'll work our way in, give them uh, that opportunity to work through the line there, so if you are Again, uh, graduate alumni students and so current, current students, work your way that direction quickly and we'll get that photo. I'm going to ask Mr. Bradford. He is a 1990 graduate uh, of the university and uh, thankful for him. Uh, Brother Jay was a uh, rising junior when I arrived uh, at BJ as, a, as an, uh, an obnoxious freshman. And uh, Brother Bradford was very kind in our society and endured uh, those of us as freshmen as well. So thankful for him, and uh, I'll ask him if he would to ask God's blessings upon the food. Again, Dr. Jones, if you want to head out there with your wife, uh, we got the Probuses, the Johnsons headed there, so we'll get you connected out there. I'll ask Brother Bradford if he would to close in prayer, and then also to pray for the meal. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for your faithfulness. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for the wonderful service, the great music we enjoyed just the challenge from your word. May we represent you well this week, and may we be a sweet aroma to those around us and represent the Lord Jesus Christ and point them to him. Lord, thank you for this special day that we can enjoy the good food and just for how you provide. Thank you for providing the food and for those who have worked hard to prepare that for us this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you for the fellowship we can enjoy with other like-minded believers, and may our fellowship be sweet today. May we rejoice in you and who you are and what you're doing. And may we give you the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen.